you guys can grab your Bibles and open them up to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 14 to 29. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And as you're opening there, I want you to think for a moment, perhaps, about the most difficult thing you've ever done. And as that thing comes to your mind, let me ask you this question. What is it that drives you to do the most difficult things that you've ever done, to do difficult things in your life? Recently, I went on a run, and I don't know about you, but COVID-19 has not been friendly to me when it comes to stepping on the scale. I've gained the COVID-20, if not more, the COVID-20 plus. And so I decided recently I'd go on a run, and I decided I would go on the longest run I've ever gone on. Now, here's something we all know about running, if we're honest. It's difficult, and everyone who says they like it, I think they're lying to themselves. We know that because whenever you look at a runner, you've never seen a runner who's smiling. Instead, it looks like that runner is running away from death itself. And so I went on this run knowing that it would be difficult, but something drove me to take step after step to do this difficult thing. And we can all think of moments in our life, of instances in our life when we've done difficult thing, and there is something in our life that drove us to do that thing. And so my question this morning is this, what is it that drives us to do these hard things? Now, the disciples in Mark chapter 9 have just been told by Christ that to follow him will be the hardest and most costly and difficult decision that they've ever made. And so in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38, we see Jesus call the disciples and he says, in order to follow him, they must take up their cross, this instrument of death, and follow him, even though it might require their life. We know by experience how difficult it can be to follow Christ. His commands can feel hard to us. Loving him more than we love the things of the world can be difficult to us. Perhaps now more than ever in the midst of a lockdown, we know that following Christ is hard. I'll be honest with you. I have not talked to a lot of people who are thriving, whose faith is thriving in this time. And so my question this morning is, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, what is it that causes us to take step after step to progress forward? What's required of us in order that we might drive through hard things? The call to Christ is dangerous. The call to Christ is difficult. And Christ wants to teach us this morning that if we will follow Christ, faith is required of us. Faith is required of all those who will take up the call of Christ. And so in Christ's compassion, directly after calling the disciples to this difficult task, he will give them the instrument that's required of them in order to do the difficult task, in order to follow him. He will teach them that if they are going to follow him, they need faith in him. Faith is required. And so let's read Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29 together. If you have your Bibles open, follow along with me in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? 
And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked, asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we come before this text, Lord, that you would find in us, as we sit in our homes, as we sit before your word, find in us a spirit of desperation, Lord. Desperate for you crying out, Lord, that we need you, crying out that we can't live a single minute of any day without you. And so, God, help us in this moment. We need your help. We need the power of your Holy Spirit working within us as we sit in front of your word, that this time may not be wasted, but may be used fruitfully for your glory, God. And so we commit ourselves to you in this time as we sit before your word to be changed by you. God, give us a glimpse of your glory in this time. We pray this all in the name of your Son. Amen. Faith is required, and it must be working in us as we are following Christ. And so if we're going to follow Christ, then we need to learn how to grow in deep faith. And so I want you to see in Mark chapter 9, I want you to see three ways that we can grow in faith. And the first is this. I grow in faith when I find faith's fuel, Jesus. I grow in faith when I find faith's fuel, Jesus. Now, First, I want you to see our problem. See, Jesus is coming down the mountain where he's just been transfigured. In the transfiguration, three of Jesus' disciples saw an astounding picture of his infinite resurrected glory. But as Jesus walks down from the mountain, he walks into a problem, and it's a scary problem. The problem is that as he joins the rest of the disciples, he discovers that the disciples lack the most essential thing that is required of them. Faith. Now, how do we know this? Look at verse 19 and look at what Jesus says. He says, Oh, faithless generation. Is Jesus happy about what he sees in his disciples? No, Jesus is in despair as he sees their faithfulness. So look what he says after that in verse 19. He says, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? See, Jesus' heart breaks when his followers lack faith. And so it's clear that things aren't going well for the disciples. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, the scribes are arguing with the disciples. In verse 15, 
The crowd has clearly given up on the disciples because when Jesus comes, they breathe a breath of fresh air, thankful that they don't have to deal with these disciples anymore. And so in verse 16, Jesus asks what's going on and gets a sense of what is exposing the disciples' empty faith. Look what it says in verses 7 and 18. It says, And someone from the crowd answered him, that's Jesus, Teacher, here's the problem. I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. See, a man has come to the disciples with his son who has an unclean spirit. And this unclean spirit is causing his son to convulse in fits and seizures. And we get a sense of just how problematic this situation is when the boy is brought to Jesus. See, as soon as the spirit sees Jesus, in verse 20 it says, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. The father of this boy, get a sense of the seriousness of this problem. The father of this boy is even worried for his life, explaining the situation, that this spirit is at times throwing the boy into fire, throwing the boy into water, trying to drown him. This evil spirit has, wants nothing but destruction for this boy. And the problem is that the disciples are not able to cast it out. See, the problem is that the disciples should have been able to cast out this unclean spirit. In fact, Jesus had commissioned them for this very work. And so look what it says. This is going to come up on the screen. In Mark 6, 7, a few chapters prior to what we're reading now, Jesus commissioned them and gave them authority to do this, just this. It says, He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. But here, as we read this text, Jesus is teaching us this lesson, that doing the work that he gives us is impossible without faith. See, if your condition is faithless, Christ's call will be fruitless in your life. And so God is often going to put you in situations that are going to be way beyond you, way harder than anything you've ever experienced. And in those times, you need to ask these questions. Why? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this now? Why is he putting me through this? See, Jesus, in your weakest moments, in your moments of desperation, Jesus wants you to see the weakness and emptiness of your faith so that you can find the source of your faith in him. So then the answer is that we must be continually filled with faith. I had an illustration of this this morning as I was driving here. I looked at my gas tank, and it was empty, and I felt like I needed to get to the church, so I didn't want to stop, and so I'm dri- we've all had that experience. Well, at least most of us that live most of the time of our lives unprepared. But I'm driving, and I'm watching this thing, and I think, I'm, I'm looking at it, and depending on what angle you look at this gas meter tick, if you look at it like this, well, it's above the line, but then you look at it normally, it's below the line, and I'm starting to worry because I realize, and, and I know this, this is common sense, that an engine requires fuel to run. An engine can't run on empty. And this is the same with faith. See, faith, it needs a constant connection to the source that is Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we find ourselves empty. Otherwise, we find ourselves faithless. And yet, one of the reasons that we often find ourselves empty is because we fill up on the wrong fuels. 
And so for, imagine for a moment that I stopped my car and I said, okay, I have a problem here. I have no fuel. And I took my coffee and I dumped it in the fuel tank. All of us know by common faith that wrong fuel won't work. You need the right fuel to run an engine. And the same is true about our lives. We need to be connected to the right source in Jesus Christ. And yet constantly we do the same thing, trying to fuel our faith with the wrong fuel. And so I want you to see in this text two wrong fuels that people had turned to in this text that were not Jesus. I want to apply this to our lives. So I want you to see first that I am wrong fuel. I am wrong fuel. Now, reading through the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice a constant theme. And the theme is this. Whenever Jesus leaves the presence of the disciples, things go horribly wrong. Parents, you ever leave leave the room your kids are playing within for like 10 seconds? You come back and everything is just destroyed. You wonder how things could go so wrong in such a short amount of time. And for Jesus, life with the disciples was like this. And so in Mark 6, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus puts the disciples on a boat so he could go to land and pray. But immediately after that, we find the disciples on the boat filled with fear. In Mark 14, when Jesus again leaves the disciples to pray in the garden, the disciples fall asleep. And so the Gospel of Mark, it teaches us this lesson so vividly that the true disciple of Christ crumbles when Christ isn't present The true disciple of Christ is constantly fueled by Jesus Christ. And Jesus understood this. So before leaving the disciples, he made this promise to them. In John chapter 16, verse 7, as he talked about his departure from the disciples, he promised them this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus is saying this to you this morning, that you will never have the problem that the disciples have had if you are in Christ. Because through Christ, The Holy Spirit dwells within you. He is always with you. This is why Jesus can say to his disciples, Behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Jesus' presence never leaves, never departs those who place their faith in him. And yet, though Jesus is present with you through the Spirit, it's still possible for you to go alone. Not because Jesus departs from you, but because you have departed from Jesus. Like the disciples tried to cast out the demons without Jesus or without connection to Jesus. Many of us walk with a faith that's in our own strength, that's in ourselves instead of Jesus. And so we ask, what does this look like? Well, here's an example of how you might be walking in your own strength. What happens when sin is exposed in your life? When the Holy Spirit brings conviction to your life about sin, what do you do? See, some of us walking in our own strength, we just decide to pull up our bootstraps and commit ourselves to not doing this sin anymore. We just decide if we work hard enough, we'll just get rid of this sin. I'm just going to stop doing it. And yet what Jesus calls us to do is to turn to him in desperation, calling for him to clean our hearts, to give us a new heart, to change us from within, that we might find victory over this sin. See, this is the difference from one who depends on Jesus in desperation for Jesus and one who walks in their own strength. 
But there's another thing that this text is teaching us. It's teaching us not only that we are wrong fuel ourselves, but secondly, that others are wrong fuel. And so look at this text and ask this question. What were the scribes doing? The disciples were believing in their own power, but the scribes were arguing with the disciples and were looking for miracles. And they had committed this, that if Jesus was really God, then they were depending on the disciples to prove so. Their faith wasn't in Jesus. Their faith was in the disciples. So when the disciples failed, the scribes threw up their hand and said, well, then Jesus has no power. See, the scribes teach us something significant as well, that our faith cannot be dependent on other people because sinners will always let us down. We need to hear that again. Sinners will always let us down. See, if your faith in Jesus is dependent on another person outside of himself, I want you to understand that you will always be let down. See, true faith in Jesus, it changes the lens that we look at people with so that no longer are other people the foundation of our faith. Instead, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And so we begin to realize that people can't be a sufficient Savior. And so wives, take a moment to look at your husband and say this, you will let me down. Yes, your husband is a great man, but he's not a perfect man. And there will be times when his actions and his words will hurt you. He's going to let you down. But now, wives, look at your husband and say this, I will let you down. That's a lot harder to say, isn't it? But it's true. See, husbands, in the same way we might let our wives down, they will also let us down. If we're seeking to find satisfaction fully in them, if our faith is founded fully on them, we will be let down. Children, look at your parents. This is going to be really hard for you to believe, okay? But your parents are sinners too. Now, I know for sure that there's some parents standing up right now to turn off the TV. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about, but it's true. It is true that we are all sinners. So anytime we place our faith in another sinner, we are setting ourselves up to be let down. And yet many of us have a faith that is entirely dependent on other people. And so you might know that your faith is dependent on other people in that every time someone lets you down, every time someone sins against you or doesn't meet your expectation, your faith is crushed. Instead of running towards Jesus when others let you down, you run away from Jesus. See, others are wrong fuel. Listen to this. This is the most important point, and it's so simple but so hard. Jesus is the only right fuel. There is only one who can fill your faith, and he is the one who is perfect. He is the one who will never cease to be faithful to his children. And so imagine Jesus watching this scenario. Here are the disciples laboring in their own strength, and here are the scribes depending on others for their faith, and yet God receives great glory when his children run to him in desperation. And so the crowds, they see Jesus, and they react rightly. They run to Jesus in amazement and look at Jesus. Look how he responds to the boy's need for healing. He says this, bring him to me. Bring him to me. Do you see how practical this is? Your faith is fueled 
when your immediate reaction is to bring all things to Jesus Christ. See, you never have been and you never will be too dependent on Jesus. You can bring all things to him. If Jesus had a cell phone, he would never leave you on red. Every text message you sent to him would be read and responded to. He responds to all of his children's cries for help. He responds to all of his children's cries and desperation. And so faith-filled Christians, they learn to turn to Jesus as the source and fuel for faith. And yet so often we fail to depend on Jesus, don't we? We keep turning to other things. And so this leads us to our second point, that if we're going to grow in faith, we need to fight faith's flaw, unbelief. We must fight faith's flaw, unbelief. See, somewhere along the way, the faith of the disciples and of the Father had been brought to a bare minimum. And the thing that Jesus needed to expose in them was that their faith was flawed. See, the man had faith, but it was being destroyed. And so with expert precision, precision, Jesus looks at the man and is able to show him the faith that is required to see his boy healed before his boy is absolutely destroyed by his unbelief. So at the end of the conversation, in verse 24, the man confesses this. Look what he says at the end of speaking with Jesus. He says, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And so my question as I read this text is, what is it that leads us to unbelief? What is it that leads us to the place that this man is in? We're standing in front of Jesus. He lacks the faith that's required of him. See, unbelief, it's active in all of us, and it's constantly trying to strangle out any faith that we have in our lives, any faith that would constantly cause us to seek and depend on Jesus. And so I want you to see in this story three ways that unbelief is present in all of us, three ways that we may be tempted to unbelief. First is that you might believe that Jesus is not needed. So it was for these disciples. Notice they never sought out Jesus' help. Even in the presence of Jesus, they continued to try, try to cast out the unclean spirit, believing that they could do it apart from Jesus. So what often keeps us from running to Jesus is believing that we don't need him. You might think that life is going pretty well right now. You might think that you're doing fine without this constant dependence and faith in Jesus. And you need to hear this this morning. The belief that you don't need Jesus will absolutely destroy your life. Think about the prodigal son for a moment who ran away from his father thinking that he could find true joy, true fulfillment outside of his father's house. He was blind to the destruction that was ruining his life until his eyes were opened to how far he had fallen. And instead of enjoying the fellowship and food of the father, now he was eating with the pigs. So you might believe that Jesus is not, e not needed. The second way we might be tempted to unbelief is you may believe that Jesus isn't able. And so this is displayed in the man's words. Put your eyes on verse 22 and look what it says. The man, the man said, said, if you are able to do anything, if you are able to do anything, he looks at Jesus, he looks at the creator of the world and says to him, if you are able to do anything, and so he's immediately rebuked by Jesus who says all things are possible. 
See, we all need this rebuke. We're tempted to constantly believe that Jesus is only able to do small things. And so many of us live our lives with the spiritual motto that if you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. Now, by saying all things are possible, Jesus doesn't mean here that if you have enough faith, you can do whatever you want. And then if you ask God of something and you don't get it, it's because you didn't have enough faith. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying is that your faith should believe, should be rooted in the unlimited power of God. He's saying that you don't need to ask small things of the God who can do all things. But though some of us would never say it, we just don't believe that Jesus is able to work powerfully in our lives. See, some of us are conditioned. Anytime we have a faith-filled thought about what Jesus might do in our situation, we immediately respond to it with an inner voice that said he would never do that. And so we never turn to Jesus with faith. One of the best ways that you know you don't believe in God's ability and power is that you don't pray. See, prayer is hard because when you find time in the day for prayer, you actually have to stop doing other things. You have to stop the work of other things and commit yourself to the work of prayer. And so what you're doing every time you commit yourself to the work of prayer is you're saying this, I don't need my work. I don't need to work harder at this. I don't need to spend these extra 15 or 20 minutes sleeping or, or working harder. I need to spend these 15 or 20 minutes praying, asking Jesus to work in my life, asking God to do a powerful work in my life. See, prayer slows down and says, God, only you are able. And so I'm here, desperate for you, saying that I need you to work in my life. Third unbelief that might be in your life is that you might be tempted to believe that Jesus isn't willing. Notice the man gives Jesus an out. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. See, this man needed to know who he was in front of. And in Jesus, you will always find the utmost compassion. He is ready, willing, and able to help you in your time of need. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is gentle and lowly with sinners. And so any time that sinners go to him, they find compassion. This is what Jesus came to do, to be the savior of the helpless. And so the man would request that Jesus would help his unbelief, and Jesus would do just that. Jesus would help this man's unbelief by displaying a miracle for him. Jesus would heal the boy, casting out the demon. The faith required of the man would be restored by a magnificent miracle of healing. And this man's unbelief would be solved. I want you to know that Jesus has done something even more significant for us in order to cure our unbelief. See, the greatest cure to unbelief is looking to the cross. So just as we've seen these three temptations to unbelief, I want you to see how the cross cures each of these temptations. See, the cross should remove all unbelief and fill our hearts with faith. And so, so maybe you're tempted, like we were talking about, maybe you're tempted to believe that Jesus isn't needed. Well, you look to the cross and you realize that the cross proves otherwise. The cross proclaims to us that Jesus is needed to bear the punishment of sin, to pay the penalty of sin. 
See, Jesus, he needed to give his life so that we could have new life by the power of his resurrection. We needed that. And the more we meditate on the cross, the more we will understand that Jesus is needed every minute of our life. Maybe we believe that Jesus isn't able. See, the cross, as we meditate on, on it, proves otherwise. On the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. Finished. On the cross, Jesus had victory over your strongest and greatest enemy. Over an enemy far greater than this unclean spirit, Jesus was able to say it is finished, declaring that the payment was made, declaring that redemption was accomplished through his blood. Maybe you believe that Jesus isn't willing. And again, the cross proves otherwise. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. See, it's possible that you're here and you've never actually placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That like the scribes and the crowds, you've seen Jesus Christ even this morning, heard of Jesus Christ, but you've never placed your faith in his power to save you. And you need to know that just as faith is required for us to grow in Christ, faith is absolutely required. The only thing that was required in you to be saved by Christ. He came to die on the cross for you. See, the cross, it destroys all unbelief and fills your heart with faith that even though we sin, even though we've fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus Christ has redeemed us through the cross. But one last thing must be done to cultivate faith. We must fan faith's flame. If I want to grow in faith, I need to fan faith's flame through prayer. The most important thing that Jesus wants to teach his disciples here is to depend on him by faith, that Jesus' closest disciples are constantly desperate for him to work. So we depend on him by faith, but we need to recognize that faith has a language And the language of faith is prayer. And so those who depend on Jesus, they do so by prayer. And so as the disciples, they stand shocked at what they had just seen. They ask this question, which is a fair question. Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples were sent out by Jesus to drive out unclean spirits but Jesus wants them to know that service to him cannot be done apart from a constant awareness of our inadequacy and a constant need for dependence in him. See, prayer, it's faith in action, and this is exactly what prayer is and what it does. I love what one pastor says. This quote's going to come up on the screen. He says, The core of effective prayer isn't discipline. It's desperation. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, defeated, weak, or insufficient, there's good news. You're in the perfect spot to pray. In prayer, all you need is nothing. All you need is need. And so we could continue in this point to talk about discipline. We could talk about practical ways that you can implement prayer in your life. But I think that there is one thing that is especially fitting for us to do in this moment, and it is to pray. If prayer is faith in action, let's just take a moment now to pray and and to cry out, God, we are desperate for you to work in our lives. I know this isn't the perfect setting for it. I know by now your kids are probably going wild. And so in this moment, as the worship team comes up, if all you can do is pray a prayer with your eyes open and say, Jesus, I'm desperate for you, 
we can trust that God's going to honor that. Let's take this short time now to bow our heads, to close our eyes, and in this moment confess our need for Jesus Christ. To practically apply that we are desperate for him to work. Let's take this time now to pray. Father, we bow before you. God, desperate for you to fill us with the thing that is required of us to follow you with faith. God, we need you and we're desperate for you. And we look back on our life and we see how many times we've failed. We see how many times we've lacked the faith that is required of us to follow you. So God, in this moment, we are very practically coming before you to confess our need of you and to cry out in desperation for you, to say, Lord, that we have no hope apart from you, to say, Lord, that all things are impossible apart from you, but Lord, that with you all things are possible. God, that you are the one who has the power, you are the one who has the strength, you are the one who seeks the glory to work powerfully in our lives, God. So we commit ourselves to you in this time, Lord. Thankful for Jesus. Thank you. Thankful that he came to die for us so that we might be saved in him. God, we praise you. And even now as we worship you, confess our need of you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.